1: You're listening to The Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello, welcome to chapter 46 of The Corona Diaries and Mr. Steve Hogarth, you can exhale. You can exhale. There we go. To... What, what you don't know is that the H takes a deep breath before we start So that when I do the hello and welcome to, he doesn't make a sound Yes,
0: yeah, so it's not easy shutting up for that long No, no,
1: that's nearly 15 seconds <laughs> You're not going to be one of those free divers, are you?
0: That ends up hundreds of feet under the, under the ocean No, I'd want a lot of money Yeah There'd be a- no anyway. free diving for me <laughs> be professional diving. <laughs> Pay the invoice before I get my trunks on. That's what it'd be. <laughs> I think
1: I think today could go a little bit astray. Because we're already we've already got a bit giggly. Um we're way behind schedule. We've got giggly. Mm. Uh, it's going to be one of them. You weren't drinking yesterday.
0: I wasn't. I wasn't. It's made an enormous difference. I woke up with the headache of the century. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you have been jabbed.
0: Yes, that's true. Yes, yes, by the missus last night. Yeah, and then on with <laughs> the <laughs> then the again knee- this morning. <laughs> <laughs> many true words spoken in jest. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and by, yes, by a needle on Thursday. Um Yeah, that went well. That went well. I've been watching it on the telly when they do it and they do stick it in a long way, don't they? Almost through the other side. <laughs> uh And I thought, well, I'm not going to look because that's the bit that will bother me. Right. But if you don't look, you barely feel it. Right. You know. You know, I won't even go. I'm not even going to go to any of the, the cliches.
1: Um, I think we should leave it.
0: Ramesh Ranganathan stooped to it. I noticed, but but I'm I'm not going to. You're above such things. <laughs> 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 Legend has it, indeed. Right,
1: anyway, anyway, we need to we need to get on track because we left <sighs> we left chapter forty five on a bit of a cliffhanger, didn't we?
0: Yes, we did. Will he? Won't he?
1: Will he, won't he? Willy, will he go on tour with the other and become stupendously hip and cool?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Um, but then there was this little offer floating around in the background.
0: Yes, there was, there was, there was this offer. And then there was mm. me thinking, oh, I don't know about that. And then, and then there was Daryl Way going, oh, you should go and meet them. They're lovely people. And Which made me go, oh, oh, you know, well, we'll go and meet him. What i can going to do, and then, and then, of course, I lost my car hmm. and didn't turn up on the day I'd agreed to turn up. Though not stolen,
1: as it says in um, in John Collins' book. No, well, I'd, as we discovered
0: last week, I perpetrated that lie out of pure embarrassment for years because <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to admit that that I hadn't turned up on such a, for such a flimsy reason. <laughs> oh so it took me a long time to come clean with that. In fact, it took me nearly as long as it took me to come clean with my age. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a couple of years of home truths, hasn't it? Oh, I'm a yes. Oh, the deceit, the deceit. Mm. I used to live with Aunt, mm. but not anymore. It's all wow. out in the open. Indeed. <sighs> Must put it away. <laughs>
1: So, so, yes, so we're on the edge. Apparently, and I, and I was reading, have you read that? Have you read John Collins's book? You must have read it.
0: Yes, I think I've, I've read bits of it, you know, when um, uh must have done back in mm. the days before I was a cabbage when he wrote it and, um, you know, we had to sort of scan it and OK it and mm. check there was nothing deeply offensive or that would get us arrested or divorced in it um how did that work out well it must have been fine because none of us got arrested um so one out of two ain't bad
1: <laughs> he mentions he mentions that not uh, that robin bolt was also sort of saying nice things around the sides as well because you knew robin bolt apparently
0: Yes, yes, Robin's lovely. I've known Robin for years. He goes, he goes right back to to school with trousers. Pete, Pete, and Robin were at school together, and then they had a little bit of a, uh, I think they had a band together. I think they busked in New York together as a duo. So they've there's a lot of water under the bridge there, and of course my old band Europeans had a little bit of a. Walk in the Park with John Otway. Mm. We, you know, we did a tour with, with Otway and uh, made an album with Otway as well, all balled to know Willie. Um, and uh, Robin Bolt became Otway's guitarist at one point. Um, so I might have met Robin back then even. Uh, which might have been Pre Marillion. Really, I can't remember. Yeah, but well, John. John seemed to known, reckon that. Known him on and the, off.
1: The 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 band were sort of saying to to Robin, "Can you,
0: you know, tell H what nice fellas we are?" Ah, maybe he had an inf- maybe he put hmm. a word in as well. Then, yeah, um, I think I'd run into Robin via Otway. Um, but it was mainly Daryl, you know he was he, he was kind of my best mate at that time in Windsor we've drifted apart now because he moved down to Devon with his family and kind of vanished you know mm. I, I don't get down to devon much um so we've drifted apart you know we we speak on the phone once every couple of years um but that's that. And, you know, I last time I spoke to Daryl, I think I sent him a message because Phil Brown had told me that Curved Air were going to play at the 100 Club. So I had sent him a message going, oh, Curved Air are playing at 100 Club, I'll I'll come over. And he wrote back and going, well, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so I thought, like, oh, he's obviously not in the band <laughs> anymore. Um, so I don't know if there was any any bad blood between him and Sonia. I didn't think there was. Um, But maybe she decided to get together with a a new Curved Air and do some gigs and maybe, I don't know, for whatever reason he wasn't involved. But for me, you know, Daryl Way was the other... Curved Air had two stars. Mm. You know, it had Sonia gyrating about being sexy and... early 70s sort of way, and and Daryl being, you know, some kind of electric, violin, unearthly rock god in a Robert Planty sort of way. Mm. They were the, the two stars of curved there, so I think she's missing a trick, not roping him back in, but mm. but may, maybe he's just at a point in his life now. Uh, may, maybe he's reached the, the Dave Gregory, I'm not taking my slippers off point of life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I can I can get that. It seems that it works for Dave. <laughs> Bugger that! Oh, <laughs> oh! So, so the, the there's forces trying to bring you and the band together.
0: Yes. Well, I was found up. I, I was found up by Dwayne Welch. He was the son of Shadows' bass player, Bruce Welch. Oh, the legend that is ex-husband of. Um, Olivia Newton-John. Yes,
1: um, and and rhythm guitarist rather than bass player. Oh, was he? So. Yes. They, the Shadows went through bass players like Spinal Tap went through drummers.
0: Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, I've I've actually forgotten his name now. Dwayne Bruce. Welsh. Bruce, Bruce Welsh. Well. Sorry, Bruce. So, I'm sorry for forgetting your name now as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, just sure to, just you're Just to listening. compound it. You've hanging on every and word of this podcast, so we're all right. <laughs> um So, yeah, it was Dwayne that phoned me up Uh and then at some point I found out that he was Bruce Wiles' son. Um, And it you know it was in my mind, again, this is probably totally wrong, but in my mind, oh, just a sec, let me stop this fucking thing binging all the time. To t- very, very popular this morning, aren't you? It did that all the way through me bloody gig in Oxford as well. I don't know how to stop it binging. There's probably an app, <laughs> 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 which I either haven't got or have got, that's causing the trouble. But um, where was I? So, yeah, it was in my in my... The, in my adult mind, it, it it all seemed to happen on the same week. You know, week one or two of January 1989, I'd got Matt Johnson on the phone and then I'd got Dwayne Welsh on the phone asking if, if, if I could go and meet Marillion. Um, so then I went to see King Swamp, uh, lost my car, ended up having to stay in Kentish Town on somebody's sofa... Shitting myself because Dizzy Spell had left all her kids' school children's personal reports on the back seat of the mini-metro. And I thought, oh, God, if they've all been stolen, that'll, I'll be in such deep shit. Um, anyway, it turned out that um, it wasn't nicked or towed away. I'd just come out the other door... So, so then I then we ought to actually stop for a second and just
1: take a moment because so we we used to you losing passports, wallets, phones, sunglasses—that's fairly normal. We're taking it in our stride that you actually misplaced a car.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did.
1: I mean, what is left? There's only a house left. I'll You've tell you what's left: nice.
0: an entire band, two articulated lorries, and two two tour buses. I misplaced those in Madrid once. Um <laughs> So no I haven't lost the house yet. Well, I have lost the house technically, but that was more uh, negligence. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, but you've never wa- you've never wandered down the wrong street and gone. I'm sure it was here this morning. <laughs> have you?
0: I might have. <laughs> I think I've done that with various city halls in the world. <laughs> Wasn't there, wasn't, there, wasn't there a gig here? Where the fuck's <laughs> that gone? Um, yes. No, I did. I lost the car. And, and, and so then I'd agreed to meet the band. I think it was a Saturday morning, and I ended up going on a Sunday morning. And one of the band ones wittily said that um, I'd been a day late for the first meeting, and I've never been on time since. <laughs> Which I think is harsh, but probably yes. accurate. I'm. I'm not going to say anything. I'm
1: not going to say anything other than we agreed to meet at ten, mm. and 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 I, and, I, and you appeared at ten nineteen. <laughs> so I'm. I'm not going to say anything. I did say
2: ish. You did
1: ish. say ish. To be fair, and ten nineteen is ish.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Until quarter to eleven, then it's eleven ish. <laughs> Anyway, so you're, you're in
1: Pete's garage, I believe, on the Sunday?
0: Yes, we had a meeting in the garden. In, uh, it was January, it was cold. Uh, Pete has got cats, so I couldn't go in his house. So they weren't exactly getting the, the warm open arm, warm open arms treatment from me. First no. of all, I refused to go in Pete's house. Which must have been a bit weird. <laughs> I'm a day late and I'm not coming in. <laughs> I'm not coming in. So then uh, we we had a bit of a sat around in deck chairs and in on Pete's patio for a bit, and then and then went in his garage, which was I'd never seen so much equipment in my life. It was like someone had thrown a hand grenade in a music shop. And you know, and they made a racket and asked me if I'd sing. Some words that they handed to me on a piece of fax paper from some bloke called John Helmer. Uh, a ragged man came shuffling through, dooby 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 doo, you know. Once mm. uh, a big we'll turning round, King of Sunset Town, and so they played and I sang, and I thought I was rubbish, and they thought it was great, um, which probably sums up... Oh, no, it's the other way around now. <laughs> 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 I now burst into the room with things that I think are great that they think are rubbish.
1: <laughs> and legend has it, from what I've heard, that that, that that then virtually became the finished result in terms of the melodies. That, that-
0: yeah, absolutely, on the spot. It wasn't changed. I rewrote the lyrics later on in the year after... <laughs> hang on a bit, hang on, I'll, I'll edit that out. I'm just gonna quit another app in the hope that it won't go ting anymore. anymore. Right. Oh, it's not even open.
1: Oh, and that was literally the last I saw of him. I
0: don't know, I, don't, I just don't know. I'm gonna quit that. If I quit that, it's not even open and it's tinging.
1: You've had Max for quite a while, haven't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've not, I've not, yeah. Oh, well, it'll just have to ting. It'll just ting. It'll, it'll just, just, add just add a bit tim. of bit of magic and fairy dust to the it podcast. It makes
1: you seem popular. Huh?
0: So, uh, yes, it wasn't really, It that was it. The, the melody wasn't changed. The general scansion of the verse and chorus was exactly the same. The chorus remained exactly the same. The opening line, a ragged man came shuffling through, was what John had written. Um I can't remember what John's second line was but I changed that to a puppet king on the fourth of June after Tiananmen Square after um, after the tanks rolled in. Um which it happened while we were at Hookend Manor recording. I saw that on the TV and I said to the boys, you know, would you mind if I rewrote this about about this? And they went, "Yeah. Great." So I I made some allusions to to that, you know, to Deng Xiaoping and and what had gone on because it was horrible, you know, they were just students. And everybody knows what happened and there we are. So it wasn't a protest song, it was just I mean, it, it it always had a sort of mythical feeling to it, The King of Sunset Town, and I think it remained mythical. It was just, you know, nodding in the direction of things that, that were going on in the world in a way that John Helmer's original was was a bit more mythic and not really about anything that, that I could fathom, anyway. Not that unusual for John, though, is it? That really? Yeah, he's he's incredibly talented, and and I, I probably, sh- I mean, there's an argument that I should have made more effort to find out what he was on about generally. <laughs> you know, because I would get lyrics from him and think, oh, that's kind of, what's that about? You know, and and rather than phone him up and actually find out. I would, I would, I would do things to it, um, so that it made sense to me. Um, but maybe, maybe leaving it alone would have made more sense. <laughs> um, I've got a lot of time for John. I think he's got a brilliant mind. Yeah.
1: Hmm. So we're in the garage. You're wobbling away. Um, and 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 within twenty minutes, half an hour, um, you effectively you've got King of Sunset Town mm. l- s- melodically certainly how it mm. you know how it how it finishes, um, and and then what you 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 know you you make your goodbyes you 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 clear off they're they're obviously quite pleased with how it's all all gone but what happens after that then because there's a period of time isn't there's a there's a week or a couple of weeks. When I guess somebody comes along and says, "Actually, you know, we'd 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 like to take this further, Mister Hogarth."
0: Well, what happened was that more or less happened on the spot. The band said we we feel really good about what just happened in there, you know. And how would you feel? You know, how would you feel about us getting together and going forward? And you, you know, the 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 cliche that I always roll out, which is true, is that they said. We like what you do and, you know, I I think I'd said, what is it you're really looking for? And they said, well, we, you know, we want you to do what you do and we'll do what we do and we'll see what happens. So it was presented to me like that and they said, what do you think? And I said, well, can I think about it and call you? And they went, yeah, sure. And... It was left like that. Mm. So then I had to kind of go home and, you know, put clutching at straws on and stuff and listen to it and go, oh, well, uh, wow. Mm. Um,
1: what was the first thing? When you got home, what was the first thing that you said? Did you say, well, that was kind of what I thought it would be, or was it like, bloody hell, I wasn't, I
0: wasn't expecting quite that? I can't remember, to be honest, but I probably said... You know, Daryl was right. They're really nice people. Mm. You know, Um and now I've got a big decision to make because, you know, I really want to do that tour with Matt. I've got my heart set on it. It it felt like it was that the, the tour felt to me like it was my way back into enjoying playing music again yeah. after I'd had all the the. The naturalness and the and the excitement removed um and replaced by a feeling of uh, failure and pressure uh by by c b s um they really had made me you know the all my confidence had gone my desire to create musically had gone. Um, and I didn't want that anymore, and so the prospect of, of going and doing that tour with the uh, I thought that that could get me going again. That could make you know, it could, I could probably have a great time playing, you know, gigs full of people having a good time. Matt Johnson is a brilliant artist, the great songs, yeah. What's not to love? Um. And at the same time, nothing to do with me, you know. No, no, nothing to shoulder. No, nothing to live up to or live down to. Apart from keeping Matt happy, obviously. Um, that's that. The downside of that was that at the end of it, Eda probably said, "Thanks very much. I might call you in four years when I go on tour again, or I might call you in a couple of years to see if you want to come and." play a bit on my album, you know, or whatever. I wouldn't have been in the band, I'd have just been a hired gun for as long as Matt felt it was a good idea. Um, Whereas what, what Marillion were offering me was a chance to be in the band and be writing and being creative and being myself which on the one hand was very attractive, but on the other hand was everything I was hoping to get away from, you know, yeah. back, back in the front, in the middle, under the spotlight with all the pressure, um, which I'd really had enough of. But then on the upside, they, you know... They were signed to EMI, they had a record deal, they had a fan base. Uh, so in that sense, there was, a, there was a very good chance that whatever we wrote together would have a certain level of success or, or, or a level of success which would mean that it could endure. So that feeling of living on the end of your nerves and living and dying on the next thing you wrote wouldn't be there, was the way it had been. So I was just trying to weigh all of those things up. Um, And so I thought about it for a bit and, you know, to this day, to this day... It's, it's undeniable that the, the downside of joining Marillion was that I'm not fish and I'd have to drag that dead skin around behind me um, for what has turned out to be ever, mm. you know, in 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 from the perception of, for instance, BBC One. You know, if I was to go on TV tomorrow... I would be that guy who isn't Fish, still. I'd just be this, oh, and we've got, who who is he, you know, Steve Hogarth. What does he do? Oh, he's the singer of Marillion. Well, what happened to Fish? That would still be the BBC One opening gambit, uh, even after all this time, because for them nothing really existed apart from Calian and Communicado. So they don't it start. you know, the 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 beeb is just like this massive monster. Nothing gets onto its radar unless it's sat at number one already for a couple of weeks. And then it you know, and then it starts to exist in their consciousness and all oh, right, oh, we'll get them on Graham Norton then or we'll have them on this or we'll have We'll have them there, and we'll have, a, you know, and then you, from that, you kind of generate a history, and in fifteen years' time, you can go on a, a cooking program on a Saturday morning, or whatever, you know. Hey, do you remember Jamelia? Do you remember fish? You know, or whatever, you know. You become that then that you had a hit, and so a Sandwiched between starts,
1: Carol Decker and Sonia. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> I never have been, fortunately. But um, I'm convinced. I wish it on anybody, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where you—you know—would I want that? Not particularly. But it is awfully frustrating. To, on the other hand, it's awfully frustrating to remain an unknown for mm. them. You know. Um. When I say awfully frustrating, I don't mean it keeps me awake at night. It just irks me from time to time. You know, that's how it is. Maybe nobody feels famous, I don't know. I mean, when I went on Pointless Celebrities, I felt like an imposter. I thought, well, I'm the only one here who isn't famous. But maybe everybody on there was privately thinking that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) oh... I'm with this. I'm with that singer from Marillion, Nobody, but nobody knows who I am. I I wonder if they were all privately thinking, "I'm the sax player from Madness." Nobody fucking knows. I better wear a loud suit. Do you know what I mean? I don't. I don't know if they were all privately feeling like I felt. But I
1: maybe that's the unspoken question in all those moments. Maybe that's. Maybe you should start it. Start the trend next time you're on there. Just say to all these people, "Do you feel famous?" Then,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have that. Who was on the... Somebody was on the radio the other day talking about that, about imposter syndrome. Can't remember. I think a lot of famous people, you know, feel like imposters. Like they're, like they're not famous or like they just got lucky and that there are other people... Oh, I'll tell you it was. It was... Um, It was the Scottish guy, uh, the actor, David Tennant. Mm. David Tennant, he was on the radio and he was talking about the dumb things he said to people when he's been starstruck. He said just dreadful things to people at parties and in social situations, not because he meant them, just because he was trying to be over-familiar and be their friend because they were big stars and, and in doing so said something truly awful which made me immediately think of my Steve Lillywhite moment. <laughs> I just knew I uh, exactly where you're going. <laughs> you know, I thought, yep, I know that feeling, you? <laughs> So, you know, if David Tennant's got imposter syndrome, maybe everybody has, you know, because mm-hmm. when you see him on TV, he seems like the most self-confident wizard networking, hey, I'm everywhere and I've done some great work and... I've made all these movies, and I'm Doctor Who. You know, he seems like a famous person who's just surfing on this sea of 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 energy, you know, energy and accomplishment. And yet, internally, he's, he's I'm not surprised because if you listen to his
1: podcast, and he do, he's done a really really great podcast, he, he he comes across exactly how you've just described in terms of not being that person at all. Hmm. Being, you know, very down to earth, and and being starstruck by a lot of the people, I think it's that bit. She's another one. Olivia Coleman would has said a lot of things where she's been starstruck, and you think, well, you're Olivia Coleman, but I think if you haven't recognised that suddenly you've become that big, that recognisable, that all over, plastered
0: everywhere, it probably creeps up on you. Maybe, maybe, and, and maybe you get to a point where that 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 very down to earthness starts to become a mask in itself,
2: mm.
0: where you know you've actually turned and you've realised what a big deal you are, but you're going to do the down to earth thing, and uh, you know, not naming any names, but I, Mac is a bit like that, isn't he? You know, I'm just an ordinary lad from Liverpool, you know, do as a fucking favour, Paul. You're poor, bloody McCartney. You know, so maybe it then becomes a device in itself. Probably. After I mean, Macca can't think he's just an ordinary bloke, no. can he? I mean, can he? After everything that's happened and, you know, the, the success and the massive mega songs and the tsunamis of wealth. <laughs> Can he really think, I'm just an ordinary bloke from Liverpool? What's ordinary about you? You know, everything about Paul McCartney is extraordinary. Mm. You know, his, his life, his talent, the band he was in, the stuff he'd done, the, everything. So, I don't know, maybe he... I can't imagine Mac has got imposter syndrome. No. No, he can't you have. But... So, I, and I, I feel a bit like that with Olivia Colman. I mean, I've not met her. She might be completely the real thing. But I think you get to a point where you're so successful, you know, when you've got three or four Oscars on the shelf, you must start thinking, I'm not bad at what I do, am I? Yeah, I'm doing all right, aren't I? But, But having said that, if you're an actor... Then unless you're writing, which not many do, but some do, some go on to write, or or directing, directing, which not many do, but some go on to do, then it must be a lot easier to think, do you know what, I'm just a jobbing actor and I've been in a successful movie that, yes, I I was the star in this successful movie, but it was all made by other brilliant people. I was just doing as I was told and trying to feel the lines that have been given and I've obviously done that in a good way because it's a massive success and someone's just given me an Oscar but I am just an actor and I think it's quite easy perhaps to, mm. to think that way and not to get too up your own arse about it. But there must come a point where you've become a national treasure where you start thinking, Oh, hang on a minute, maybe maybe there is something about me that's bigger and shinier than everybody else. Maybe you start to wonder, and well, I better not let anybody know that I think that because they all think (laughs) I'm really
2: down to earth.
1: I
0: can't remember what down to earth felt like. Um, <laughs> back, back to the story. What else? what is What else? It, Yeah. <laughs> can't even see it from here. Let alone stand on it. Yeah. Back to your life.
1: Um, the should really have been the obvious choice, shouldn't it?
0: Looking at looking at where you'd come from. Look, at, I suppose how Yeah, you... I mean in terms of the music that I. I... I would have wanted to make, yeah. you know, and and be seen to be part of. I guess, um, then, the the would have been, but it wasn't just that. It was it was getting back into enjoying doing it. That, mm-hmm. that I was really, that was the thing that really made me think. Ooh, hang on a minute, maybe I shouldn't be a melt man. It really was. And if the Marillion offer had come first, I dunno. I might have gone, do you know what? That's the last thing I need. It'll mm. be even worse. Bugger it. Let's go to Derbyshire. I'm done. You know, because it was at that point of I'm I'm yeah. done with this. It's a th- it's a three it's a three
1: three fork in the road, wasn't it?
0: So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily just the music or whether or not it was hip or hip or it was, it was the difference between being able to just be at the back, you know, be mm. riding in the train um, or, or, or or driving the train. And I didn't want to drive the train. I wanted to be at the back with a glass of champagne and my feet up. You know, I was ready for that. And I'd, 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 I'd done too much of... of pulling everything else down the track. I I wanted to sit at the back and be pulled. Um for a bit. Or not at all. Or just stop. And so it was a big decision to become the engine again. Uh or the or whatever you wanna however you want to look at it, whichever metaphor, the um the figurehead, the thing on the front of the ship with its mm. tits out. Mm.
1: That's probably the the best one.
0: That's essentially what <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am that
1: thing. You you are that thing. <laughs> 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 the rest of uh, so, the band probably sit there going, right. Let's get our tit out then.
0: Yeah. Stick him on the front. Stick him on the front. <laughs> Stick him on the front and pull the anchor up, (laughs) we're off, we're off on another journey, stick him on the front and set sail. Um, So that was the decision. And so it wasn't a quick and easy one. And in the end I thought, well, I'll ease myself in. Um, Again, as I've often said, I'd been in a situation in the past where a bass player had almost murdered me on a ship uh, come within a whisker of mur- murdering me, actually. And so that had taught me that there's more to being in a band than just making music, that there's, there's having to try and get on with them inside that pressure cooker for years and years and years and years. And do I want to join a band only to find the, you know, we've split up in six months because we've had some massive fight? Um, I'm going to need to be sure that I can be around these human beings on an intimate level for days, weeks, months, years, on end. Um, so it's easy to go, yeah, I'm in, you know, and weld yourself to something that at some point is going to shatter, because, you know, for personal reasons. So I thought what makes most sense is um, to phone them up and say, look, this might sound like a strange reply, but can we live together for a bit, you know, and see how we get on? And so they all said, that's a great idea, let's book some residential studio time and let's live together and make some music, and so we went off to the Mushroom Farm in Brighton and did that, and then at some point, I don't even know if I noticed that, but in fact, in fact, I missed a bit out. What happened was, um, after Dwayne rang, um, and I thought about it for a bit, I called back, and I think I spoke to Dwayne, and I said, you know, and I said, well, can you know, can can I come into the office, or maybe they proposed it, but they said, why don't you come into the office and meet John, the manager? So then I went into the office in Richmond on Thames and met John Arneson and we we walked down the road and went to lunch together. And so I had a long chat with John, found out about John and, you know, his position managing the band and what he used to do and got a feeling for John. And I liked John and I still do. Um, And so bit by bit I was becoming more comfortable with the idea of it. And then, as I say, I, I, I think I then called the band and said let's, Let's live together for a bit and see what happens. And so we did that. We went we went down to Brighton. We lived we lived in this funny little music farm. Well, it was called the music farm. It was like a really long shed, really. Um and it had bedrooms and it had a rehearsal studio in it and it had a little place where you could sit down and eat, a kitchen and whatnot. And um at some point during that process, I think I, I was in the band, mm-hmm. and I don't know if any of us really knew what day that happened. You know, it went from it went from me not being in the band to me being in the band, and nobody knows. I don't think where, where, unless they had a meeting and said, "Is he in then?" you know, that they never told me about. They probably did. <laughs> they probably still do. <laughs> oh, if we can get the minutes of that meeting. <coughs> they probably have one every week. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's normally as about 10 on he, a Monday. As you finally cross the line <laughs> and give him another week. Another week. <laughs> I've
1: been given another week every week for the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that might be a mutual. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's let's stop and, and and disappear off for a bit of diary. Um, but I th- but I've not even got close to asking the questions I was going to ask you. So we'll probably end up back on this next week because I still think there's a lot of mileage in in you know how those few weeks went when you were living together, and then the fact you transitioned to the album production very you know very quickly. Uh, hmm. I mean, we're talking about a period where you know you first get in touch with the band January, February time, and there's an album out by September. So, yeah. uh, and and by Meridian standards, that's very very quick. So, that's
0: lightning fast by our standards. Yeah.
1: Um, so I think we'll come back and we'll follow up a bit on that on that next week. But let's let's go and have some diaries. We get to the end of the European leg of um, or the first the European leg of the Brave tour. Yes. Um, with yes. with a couple of little little moments in the last couple of days which I think we can reflect on, but um, before we do that um, I shall hand you over uh, to Mr Steve Hogarth reading from his diary
0: Let's go to Holland and take some drugs Thursday, fifth of May Rastat Vadanahala Climbed down out of the bus around ten, shortly after we'd arrived. The first pieces of equipment were already out of the truck and being set up on the stage. There's an immediately noticeable similarity between this hall and the one in Ludwigsburg, a modern hall with a large stage and a glass wall at the opposite end overlooking gardens. Peter Riga's rep Chrissy took me and Pete to the Hotel Schwert. Checked in care of the friendly manageress Sigrid and went for a walk and a coffee in the town. The town is reminiscent of Ludwigsburg, modern apart from the enormous stunning pink rat house, which unfortunately I didn't have time to explore. Came back to the hotel and climbed into bed to catch up on a little sleep. Came round around two and... Showered and drank coffee before the short walk back to the venue. Had a spot of lunch in catering, chatting to John A. Sound check was okay, can't remember it anyway, always a very good sign. Walked back to the hotel and went to John's room to discuss the ins and outs of the Tommy thing. It would mean me taking four months out, starting next March, to rehearse. The general feeling within the band is that it would be a good thing to do from the point of view of the profile of the band as well as, obviously, my own personal fame in Germany. We shall see. Walked back to the venue with Ian and got ready. I really enjoyed the show. It was busy and the reception was really warm. There was a cell of chatterers to my right which was annoying but in the context of the general audience wasn't much of a problem. After the show, I returned to the hotel to shower and pack before boarding the crew bus overnight to Enskede, Netherlands. Friday, 6th of May, Enskede Music Centrum. Got up around 10.30 to discover the weather had turned and it was now pouring with rain. Found my way into the Music Centrum via the loading bay, drank coffee and ordered a bacon sandwich for breakfast. Pete T and Nick B had also come overnight and eventually turned up. The runner was busy, so we had to wait a while before being taken to the Dish Hotel. Checked in, still feeling tired, and went to bed. It's good to go overnight on the tour bus, but tour bus sleep isn't ever proper sleep. So if, unlike the crew, you have the option of sleeping the next day, you don't have too much trouble nodding off. It was around three when I surfaced. It was still raining and the view from my window wasn't particularly inviting. I had nothing else to do, so I ventured out and walked across town in the drizzle to the music centrum. Had a spot of dinner in the catering area. Priv had been up to his usual tricks, writing sarcastic notes about the band's tendency to invite chums into the catering area for coffee. I responded by posting up a promise not to do it again. <laughs> this triggered off a further note of reply by Priv and the whole thing got out of hand when the rest of the band arrived and took offence. After much general outrage and letting off of steam, we had a meeting with Smick and Priv and everyone calmed down and laughed it off. Storms tend to rage in egg cups at this point in a tour. Everybody's tired. The show was sold out and went really well. It was to be my 10th show in 11 nights, so the voice wasn't at its apex, but nonetheless I thought it held out quite well. The space was a struggle, of course, but I felt I should give it an airing, being as we were back in the Netherlands, and although I had to scratch my way through it, it wasn't too bad. After the show... We made the mistake of inviting quite a lot of fans backstage for a drink. I wish we hadn't. I wasn't really down from out of the tree when when I was put in front of 30 or so people who all seemed to take offence at my inability to remember their names. I can't usually remember my own telephone number at times like these. To make matters slightly more complicated, I had eaten a couple of slices of hash cake. It had appeared backstage before the show and wasn't quite sure whether or not I was being paranoid. Oh, and I'd had a couple of Rothery's tequila sunrises. Everyone seemed to be queuing up to tell me I hadn't sung very well, and that they'd preferred such and such a show. It's usually our Dutch shows that sell out first, so there's no doubt in the passion for our music in Holland, but they do like to give you the benefit of their criticism here. Perhaps it's a cultural thing, and they think they must be honest and do you that favour personally i can't imagine ever going backstage at someone else's gig and telling them there was this or that wrong with it whether honest criticism whether valid or not it would simply strike me as rudeness i escaped to the street for fear of abusing someone and watched the boys loading the truck Relieved to be out of that room full of mind games and point scoring, and reflecting on what a lovely and rare collection of people we have working for us. I later ended up in a bar with Steve R, Mark K, Nick B, and various Dutch regulars, fan club, etc. But I still seemed to be having trouble making conversation, so I didn't stay very long. Walked back to the hotel, the wrong way round the ring road, with Nick. It took us 20 minutes to complete what I knew was only a five-minute walk. I think he was as stoned as I was. When I got into bed, the cakes were properly kicking in and I had to keep getting up and putting all the lights on. I was hallucinating whenever I closed my eyes. I have learned from fairly limited experience to try not to think about it and relax. I eventually drifted into sleep vowing never to take drugs again. Sunday, 7th of May, home. Woke up feeling fragile but not dreadful. I checked out of the Dish Hotel, Enschede to drive to Skipol. Flew home to be met at the airport by Dizzy and the kids. I was relieved to receive big hugs and kisses from Nile. I was wondering if he'd remembered me. It's been five weeks. Drove home in the rain, thinking what a shame I'd missed the good weather. After we got home, I asked the children what they'd like to do. Sophie said she'd like to go to Oxford and have tea at Brown's. I said we would. Went to Brackley with Nile to try to buy spares for the kitchen light and to have my tooth looked at following my collision with the mic in Enskede. Repaired the kitchen light and set off to Oxford for tea. The rain had stopped and by seven the sky had cleared and it had turned into a nice evening. We sat cuddling like teenagers on a bench next to the little green opposite the restaurant while Sophie and Niall played among the daisies and buttercups. It was quite heavenly. Drove back and read stories to the children on their way to bed. Watched Have I Got News For You on the telly and had an early night with my lovely and beautiful wife. Sunday, 8th of May, Guildford Civic Hall. Woke up around eleven by Diz bearing a cup of tea. Thank you, thank you. Wandered about the garden, spraying the roses for green fly and playing with the children. The garden is a picture. It's a walled country garden, not too big, but beautifully formed. An enormous clematis hangs along the wall, which is in full bloom today. This will only remain for the first few weeks of May. There's a high wall along the left boundary where I planted a 12-foot climbing rose. I bought it already this tall. It was an exhibit at the Chelsea Flower Show, and this year it will flower for the first time since I planted it. It's completely covered in buds, so it should look stunning in the summer. To the right, there's an apple tree, which is in full pink blossom. Sophie and Nile have swings hanging from its boughs. This is where they spend most of their time. Nile can usually be found digging in the sandpit beneath the apple tree. We had a spot of lunch before I left in the car to drive to Guildford. I made good time on the M25, so I stopped off at Junction 13 and drove up to Middle Hill, our old address, to see if our dear next-door neighbour Bessie, one of the most beautiful people I've ever met and now well into her 70s, was at home. She was and invited me in for a cup of tea and we caught up on each other's news. I vowed to return in the near future with Dizzy and the Children, and left for the rest of the drive to Guildford. I arrived to find various members of band, crew and a handful of fans sitting out in the sunshine. It was a lovely afternoon, and anyone not actually working was outside on the backstage steps. I sat outside waiting for my turn to sound check enjoying the weather despite the constant comings and goings of people wanting my autograph. I don't generally mind all this stuff. Our fans are a bunch of sweeties on the whole, but this afternoon, five minutes peace would have been most welcome. It was nice to see Anne Lawler again. She is John A's assistant and is demure, calm and efficient to the nth degree, our very own Miss Moneypenny. I have often said that if you were to call her and ask her to arrange a sabre-toothed tiger on Sydney Bridge this afternoon at 3pm, she would calmly ask,
2: Which side of Sydney Bridge?
0: After check, I jumped on the crew bus for 40 winks before returning across the car park to the show. The show felt very strange after the nightly euphoria in Europe. This is Guildford, Surrey, Conservatism Rules... An emotional and spiritual expression is laced up pretty tight. I try to immerse myself in the music at times like these, but tonight there was a small cell of well-meaning bordering on smart-arse, hecklers, who prevented me from doing this. I felt I was skating around on it instead of being inside it. Not a good feeling. Again, my lesson in Hamburg served to prevent me spiralling down, and I clung on and made the best of it. It was okay, but that's all. After the show, I chatted briefly to Charles Garside from Rondor and Amanda and Cathy from EMI before driving home and climbing into bed around two. I felt like I'd done a day's work.
1: And we're back. And did you just use the phrase hardened prose? (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: All right, okay. It's
0: a a new form of poetry I'm putting together. (laughs) Hardened prose. (laughs) Hardened hardened prose. What would that be? (laughs) Ian Dury lyrics. They're probably hardened prose. (laughs) I think we need to steer clear of Ian Dury lyrics.
1: It gets us us into trouble with Christine. (laughs) Right, um... (laughs) <laughs> and, and and bit a nice bit of diary. Um, uh, last couple of dates in in Europe before heading heading back home, and then starting on a, on some UK dates. Um, and, and we could talk a little bit about um, hash cakes. We could talk a little bit about um, the the Dutch being um, free with their opinions. Yes, but actually, I was going to talk to you about what what. Went off with catering and people inviting mates back for coffee, and the fact that Priv got a little bit wound up.
0: <laughs> yeah, there used to be a kind of a power struggle um, back then. And Priv had done Priv had done the band's sound ever since they were kids. I think you know he went he went all the way back to the the Ark in Aylesbury. I could be wrong about this, but I think he was even doing this sound before they had um a, a record deal or anything. And so I think in Preb's mind, he was he was kind of every bit as much of of, of a member of Marillion as, as anybody in the band, least of all me. Yeah. Uh you know, like he was he was much more of a member of the band than I was. I was just this young upstart with a Hitler haircut, and turned up, um, and he was—he he was and is a fantastic out front soundman proof and he's, he's worked with some great artists uh, since um, since he stopped working with us. And he didn't stop working with us because he felt it outgrown us. It's—it's it's just that what happens is when you're not on tour other artists offer you work, you know, and you're mad to turn that down. Um, and the only way that you can stop your crew from getting on other tours is to actually pay them a retainer when they're not working. And back then I think we were paying Priv a retainer and he still went out on other tours. So that didn't help because he wanted to work, you know, and in a way I don't, I don't blame him. Um, and he'd probably got a cottage to renovate or something or whatever makes men work. But we we parted company with Priv, um, you know, naturally, not because anyone fired anyone. But back then I was I was the new boy and I, if anything, I felt a little bit intimidated by Priv. You know, he's like, let's see what you can do then sort of thing. Um, and he had this, he had this, this um, sense of 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 power even amongst the band. Where he would take, you know, if he felt if he felt the band were bringing too many people into the catering area when he was trying to work, you know, he'd better have a word. And so he had, <laughs> he had a word. He had a word. <laughs> I'd gone overnight, I think, at that point. I don't remember it perfectly anyway, so I might be talking rubbish, but I'd gone overnight and I think something something had happened. Instead of calling for a meeting and just saying, look, how would you feel about this, lad? Um, it, Priv's modus operandi was to put piss-takey little notes up here and there, you know. Uh, on the wall, because he had a vicious sense of humour, a great sense of humour, very funny guy. Uh, so he'd put up some kind of piss-taking sense of uh, piss-taking notes. Probably something that you know he'd probably moved one fork and put put a note saying "cruise cutlery," and then put another note on the wall next to all the forks saying "reserved for band's friends." You know that kind of thing uh was probably going up on the wall um, in order to make the point that the crew was slowly being squeezed out of the only part of the gig they they could have for themselves uh, on a work day, which is, about, you know, a valid complaint. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we are the band. <laughs> I mean, I'm not asking for rose petals and kittens, but it is nice if you can bring a friend and have a cup of coffee with them. Um, so he was, you know, he was up in arms about that. I think, I think he was complaining about the, size, the ever-growing size of the entourage. Um, so he'd put some pistachio little notes up. So because I was first in the building, I'd put put some piss take little notes up next to them. I don't know what I'd put. <laughs> I'd probably put a big, you know, I don't know, a marrow with Priv's ego, you know, the <laughs> Priv's ego note above it, or something like that or 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 perhaps something less subtle, <laughs> less subtle than marrow. <laughs> and, uh, so a marrow And so that the title been... for the episode. That I've been going around, and then the band that had stayed in the hotel and turned up late afternoon. walked walks into catering to this massive piss taking notes, and you know looked looked around at all of them. Mosley probably rolled his eyes, went outside and had a smoke. Uh, Rother's probably, mm, Mark probably didn't notice, and Pete probably got really upset about
2: it. What's going? On? <laughs> It's outrageous.
0: Uh so then we had a meeting and um with the uh, stage manager was me. That's all I remember about it. But I did sometimes feel like I was I was being auditioned by various people who weren't the band. And I, this could be my shit as well, mm. what I'm talking about now. It could be all it could be all my own neurosis. But I I found it very easy to be made to feel like I was still on trial by certain people. Provo was one of them. But then, you know, if if you're a sound man and you're trying to get a job done and people aren't working at your speed, you know, or the bass... Bass player and the drummer have got up and they're just making a lot of racket while you're trying to get a vocal sound. Then you do one of two things. You either go, Well, I'm the sound man, I've got to wait, let them get this out of their system. You know, or you hit a talk back button and go, Will you two fucking shut up? I'm trying to EQ a vocal here. And Priv tended to go with the latter. And, and, and which way does Phil go? <laughs> <laughs> now phil is actually you know very um very patient he's very patient with us he's uh he's all right he's a gent uh but but he's you know he takes no prisoners generally in life but he he's he's pretty good at sussing he's a joy to work with that sounded right. like a politician's answer, but I don't it was mean. it was it was beautifully done. I, I am frightened of Phil, yeah, oh, and,
1: and and that's that's the nub of it. <laughs> we're all a bit frightened of Phil <laughs> in reality, and the only reason you're more frightened of Phil than I am is because I don't see him very often. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway, we're at the we're at the end end of forty six. Look bit at the um, end. End of 46.
0: Blimey. Just
1: I know, rattling in, through them.
0: Approaching people, my own age.
1: Pe- people keep leaving little comments like, you know, it's still enjoying the podcast, keep it going.
2: Mm.
0: Um, no, we can't believe it's still going uh, either. I know, I know. I know. he's are still, still getting these little bits of encouragement. No, no that's nice, isn't it? How oh, you get the little bits of feedback. Going really enjoying it, highlighting my week and all of that. It's nice to hear. And and where's my birthday card? And where's my birthday card? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we need to we need to stop anyway. We've got the the Q and A to record for the the purples. We've got the March Q and A. I've got some questions lined up. Oh, oh! So uh, we'll 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 bring this crazy shindig to an end, and then we can go out and and do our second piece of work for the two pieces of work in the morning. Bloody hell!
0: It's normal for us, is not it? And yeah, that's we're grafters. Hardened prose. <laughs> my finger is back on my lip.
2: <laughs> This week I've only had a couple of new bees. Thank you for subscribing Blake Tollens. Not to Forget Marco De Bruyne That's about